Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting for the Matrix on the 15th of October 2010. Now I always get the, the worst part over with first and that is to advise newcomers to go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com. That's the main website. And bookmark all the other sites you see listed in case the com goes down or if you find sticky downloads because so many folk go into the com at once and sometimes that happens. You might find it easier on one of these alternate sites which are listed there. These are the official sites, the only official sites, by the way. And um, they all carry the same audios. They all carry a lot of transcripts in English for prints up of a lot of the talks I've given over the years. And if you want transcripts for prints up in other languages, go into alanwattsentinel.eu. You'll see that listed on the com site as well. And remember that you are the audience that bring me to you because I don't ask for, and I certainly could to go along with it, but uh, I don't ask for money from advertisers. They generally approach you, and um, that's what sponsors most of the hosts. Uh, they get uh, their cash that way to keep their family going and all the rest of it, which is okay. But I don't ask for that, so I've got a free arranged to talk about different things. And if I'm asked a question, I can give an honest answer about different things and so on and the way to go with products, etc. So it's up to you, the audience, to keep me going. And how you can do it is go into cuttingthroughmedias.com and we are helping yourself to all the free talks I've given to giving the shortcuts to the histories, order the books and discs and so on that I have for sale. And hopefully that will help me keep going for a, bit, a little bit longer. If not, I'll just be off somewhere else and I'll teach groups and that will be that. So you can buy from the U.S. to Canada by using a personal check. You can use an international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada. Some people just send cash. And you can also use PayPal to order or to donate. If you want to order, just send the donation followed by an email with your name, address, and the order, and I'll get it out to you as fast as I can. Same across the rest of the world, remember. You've got the addition of Western Union, which is kind of expensive, uh, MoneyGram is a bit cheaper. Uh, some people just send cash. And, of course, it's PayPal again to order or to donate. And that's all up to you. And that's those bases covered. Very important part because, really, as I say, I could be bringing in a lot of cash here by bringing on the advertisers who give you very good stories and so on. They know their stuff about money and uh, the stock market and all the rest of it. And I'd be, become pretty wealthy. But, um, again, it's really an hour's ad you'll be listening to, and I'm trying to go a different alternate way with the general public. So help me if you can. If not, as I say, there's no skin off my nose when I, I walk off and just give lectures. Now, <laughs> this new world order, I've talked so much about it because we've gone through world order changes before. There's always a new world order. Because, you see, even in the ancient times, they helped to plan the future. Those who held tremendous power, always make sure that they're going to be in charge of the future. 
for their own offspring to make sure they can take over and rule uh, with the same kind of power, maybe even more power, uh, as time goes on. They don't sit back and say, well, I've got all the cash we need, we're going to enjoy ourselves, put our feet up, and then someone else tries to muscle in on them. That's not how it works. Even in ancient times, the most powerful, wealthy people and wealthy families had were doing what we call today geopolitics. And they had their travelers going all over the world as merchants and so on, collecting information, intelligence, and any up-and-coming small peoples, tribes, nations that they thought could be a problem down the road to them personally, they would fix it in such a way that some bigger country would take them out on their behalf. Never do it yourself. If somebody wants to do it for you. Back with more after this break. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix. And talking about new world orders, as I've mentioned before, Hitler called his regime basically a new world order. The communists did the same with the revolution. And there's been previous revolutions too, even Napoleonic wars. And Napoleon was looking towards a new world, certainly a new European order, but ultimately a world order. And so this is the idea that comes into the heads of powerful people. But really those behind the scenes who finance everything from the ancient times to the present uh, know the science of financing and the science of geopolitics because they always made sure that they would survive regardless of what nations would rise or fall. And they would also make sure uh, that they would take nations down by gathering intelligence, keeping an eye on things. They were the most traveled peoples, the big money bags, because in ancient times they were also merchants, and they had their men all across the, the ancient world gathering data. And they'd come back and chat about who was rising, who was sinking, etc., who might be a problem down the roads, uh, who might rise up and block their trade routes towards some other country far beyond them. And so they would get war stirred up by loaning money to kings and for armaments and so on. And then they also made deals in ancient times uh, to uh, get so many slaves. If they backed you, your army, for instance, to go to war, uh, they'd demand so many slaves along with the payment with interest. uh, And they used those slaves for their own gold mines. They found the Phoenicians, for instance, had gold mines as far inland as as the Ukraine, as far north as the Ukraine. And so uh, they've been at this for an awful long time. But they themselves never really went to war. They just made sure they backed all the the sides in wars. And they could never lose because whatever king won, uh, they'd already backed them. And they would get their money back from the conquered people via the king who won. That's the sort of way it works. Today they have lots of treaties, in fact, uh, so that the losers always end up paying regardless. Somebody ends up paying. They never lose. It's fascinating even to read the history of World War I. And the Versailles Treaty that came out at the end of it, where the two Warburg brothers, one who became head, I think, of the Federal Reserve in the U.S., and the other one, he's only been in the U.S. for about four years, just in time for World War I, got the job, of course, and uh, he lent the cash out for World War I to the American government. And then you had uh, another, his brother, actually, uh, doing the banks for Germany. 
So his two brothers literally negotiating all the cash they would get in from the conquered and the so-called victors. What a farce in history that is if people can't put that together, really. But that's their problem if they can't. They'll put it down to coincidence theories. Because people like to believe in coincidence theories like, my goodness, what's the chances of George Bush Sr. Uh, meeting with the, the Ben Laden family in their joint uh, meetings that they had for their corporation where uh, they built these bomb-proof bunkers across the world for various kings and countries and so on. And they were meeting down New York, down the street where the towers went up, caused supposedly by the son of one of the families in the group. I mean, what's the chances of that happening in reality? You wouldn't even put that in a movie because no, no one would go for it. But this is the stuff we're told to believe. And meanwhile, this, this ex-president's son, who was then the president, uh, is, the, is the president at that, at that one time when it's happening. It's impossible. It's just like the, the relations of them all, how they're all related to all the presidents, to kings and queens and all this kind of stuff, and each other. What's the chances of that? How many, what's the population of the U.S. alone? How come everybody they pick is always related? But it's a coincidence again, eh? coincidence theories. So that's the rubbish we're given. We're given cartoon reality, because uh, only in cartoons can you fit that kind of stuff in. And it's the same, too, as I say, getting back to the men with the power and the money who always seem to rule, and looking at the think tanks for the, for the various military organizations for Britain and the U.S. and the projections for the future to 2030, 2050, uh, they say that the, the economies must be protected at all costs. Now, along with that, they mean the banking system. The same banks have looted the planet and plundered the planet, raped the people, uh, stole all their homes back off them, and got rewarded for it by the same governments that the public, silly, silly enough, they still think it worked for them. What's the chances of that happening, too, only in a cartoon, but we're living it in this so-called reality? And in, just in ancient times, too, they talked about people as becoming too big for their boots. They also looked upon the different peoples as human herds, even in ancient times. Human herds of people. And they categorized them, too, in a eugenical fashion, according to their intellect and their size, their, their strengths, their weaknesses, mainly for labor purposes, for instance, and survivability and threat level. They also could deprive people in ancient times of food, especially those who delivered the food just like today, and cause famines and, and um, death to people who might be a threat down the road. Many ways to get rid of your enemies, you understand. There's many, many ways to do this. And we know that this eugenical society, this, this belief is all through science of today. It's all through the Darwinian belief system, and that's in all sciences. You must be a Darwinist to be a scientist today. The, 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 the survival of the fittest, basically. The same idea that Adolf had, the Soviets had the same thing. They all came from the same philosophies of Marx. And Marx really teamed up with Darwin. He wanted to dedicate, I think, his third or fourth publication of his book to Charles Darwin because he said that Darwin validated all of his theories by his findings. So they all worked together. And as I say, too, Nietzsche said the same thing. He said, well, 
It says, how would you behave if you, in a world where there is no God, as opposed to the world where you've been brought up to believe, and everyone's been taught to believe that there is a God, how would you behave? Your whole worldview, your perspective on everything would change. And then you go into what comes out of that, and it's a form of secular humanism, where, well, the only God that we have around is obviously man, and then you get categories of men, you're back into eugenics with geniuses and so on and so on, and scientists, etc. And then you get all the laboring class at the bottom. And that was all done in the 1800s, into the 1900s, in the 20th century, uh, 21st century. And here we are today, this stuff's still getting pushed. And we think nothing about the articles that come out now about, oh, overpopulation, overpopulation. Even though I've gone through all the different books by the top eugenicists on this program, talking about uh, uh, this mantra they've had for the last 50, 60, 70 years of vastly reducing the population for a post-industrial world. They even knew it, in fact, at the height of the industrial era, that this would pass as they moved their big businesses elsewhere. And they'd have all this working class back home with nothing to do. Uh, Your leaders knew that when they signed the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs for the World Trade Organization, which enabled all their factories to get paid by your tax money to go offshore and lift up uh, lock, stock, and barrel and go to China. And they paid them to set up in China for any losses incurred. And that went up on for 10 years. Each corporation could keep claiming for 10 years uh, according to any projected losses they would have during that 10-year period. And the taxpayers back home who were left without any work would have to pay all those costs. And that 10-year could be renewed for another 10 years. Now we're within the the area of the sharing of the wealth part of the plank of the Communist Manifesto, which the bankers dreamed up, of course, because Karl Marx was funded by them. And what are they going to do with all those people who have no jobs now? They don't like to keep pets around. So what what do they tell you? Oh, we're we're going to run out of of room, we're going to run out of sustenance, Uh, we're depleting this, depleting that, because they're all useless eaters. Now, if they've got a big function for you, you're no longer a useless eater, but if they've no more function for you, you're a useless eater. And Lord Bertrand Russell, amongst many others, have actually said that in their own books, the useless eaters, we must get rid of them. Now, all this stuff was discussed long before any of you here were born at world think tanks and world meetings. When they created the League of Nations at the end of World War I, they had a Department of Population for population control set up then. When they merged into the United Nations, that still remained in place. They don't employ hundreds of people in one part of the United Nations to sit on their hands and make up wish lists and do nothing about it. And what they decided to do with it is what they could, they could never get the population to simply comply and vault or get sterilized. They'd have to find ways to do it for them. And they'd have to give, give a lot of propaganda to the public too about too many people that need to cut back on the wrong types of people who are breeding and, and also to sterilize them in some way without them even knowing. And I've gone through many of the tactics that they talked about. Now, here's an article here 
one of the many articles out there. And it says, what is in the flu vaccine that can cause infertility? And this is posted by Dr. Mercola, October the 15th. It says, uh, GlaxoSmithKline's Fluarix swine flu vaccine, amongst others, contains polysorbate 80, also known as Tween 80. A study done in Slovakia on female rats found that when newborn rats were injected with the substance within a week of birth, they developed damage to the vagina and uterine lining. The hormonal changes, ovarian deformities and infertility all occurred. Then it says the package insert for Fluarix mentions that the manufacturer cannot guarantee your fertility will be unharmed. Why would they say, why would they say that, folks? Back with more on this after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix reading an article about how swine flu vaccine contains polysorbate 80 which is known to basically cause infertility. Anyway, it says here um, from the Organic Health article it says, would you feel comfortable being injected with a vaccine that contains a substance that has been strongly linked to infertility? Well, if you take the Fluorix swine flu vaccine manufactured by GlaxoSmithKline or any of the other swine flu vaccines that contain polysorbate 80, that's exactly what you will be doing. If you're considering getting the swine flu vaccine or any other vaccine for that matter, perhaps you should educate yourself about exactly what is in these vaccines before you allow them to be injected into your body. Then in related news, it says Australian health officials were aware of several and unusual side effects with the flu vaccine three weeks before they made the data public, and now experts are demanding uh, for a better national surveillance plan, which probably means that they'll cover up all the more. It took over three months to clearly identify CSL's Fluvax vaccine as a likely culprit of the outbreak of convulsions called febrile seizures. That's when they get a high temperature and they go into seizures among recently vaccinated infants. Ultimately, at least 100 reports of febrile seizures were received, but the slow response and delays in official responses from state and federal governments were just not acceptable, the experts say. And the public not only wants some answers, but a change in the way vaccine and adverse events are reported. So they do want you sterile. Well, we, we know that we're down 85%, 87% of the sperm count of what we were back in 1950. And 1950 was a big push to start the polio vaccines, which contained all the cancer viruses, plus many other active simian viruses at the same time, which they haven't told us what they would do. But I'm sure they all had their effects as well. So that we had the cancer viruses and no doubt too something else added, which would also cause infertility because most men today in the Western countries are basically uh, pretty well infertile, even amongst the young guys. And I've given the articles on air here where even young men around 18 were picked every year at universities and even they have about 10% motile sperm. 10%, that means something that knows where it's going to find its target. The rest can't get there. They don't even know where, where to go. And once they hit about 25, there's, there's hardly anything there at all. 
This is a big mystery, isn't it, for those who want to live in disbelief. And along with that, too, comes green burials require no coffins or chemicals from the Associated Press. This is one of these light-hearted things that they put out there, the way they put it forward, how it's eco-friendly and so on, about this chemicalization to turn you into a kind of green syrup. One article I read before said you could actually pour granny in your back garden's garden, uh, backyard's garden, and uh, grow something of value out of old granny, you know. That's how callous we're supposed to become as we dehumanize society further and further until we're just a low base animal that they want us all to believe we are. Certainly lots behave like that today because they mimic all they see on their movies and television. Anyway, it says here, uh, that uh, Steve Sal moved forward on, on an uneven rocking terrain in his motorized wheelchair and came to a stop at the edge of a sweeping vista of ponderosa pines and bright pockets of yellow wildflowers. Before being stricken three years ago with Lou Gehrig's disease, the 61-year-old Oregon resident who was an avid hiker would have backpacked his canyon. Instead, he was there to pick his own gravesite. Three months later, Sal was laid to rest in the forest be amongst a small but growing number of Americans choosing environmentally friendly burials. The so-called green burials are a departure from the norm that in they don't use concrete vaults, metal coffins, or any chemicals. The Green Burial Council, an industry group that sets standards, now counts more than 300 approved providers in 40 states, while only a dozen exited as recently as the beginning of 2008. In a March 2010 survey commissioned by the International Cemetery Cremation and Funeral Association found a quarter of those polled liked the concept of environmentally friendly burials. This is really an ad, you understand. This is a PR ad. I hope you understand that. It's probably paid for too, a handout. And then it says here that... um, we think of this as a new idea, but this is really an ancient idea we're returning to, said Joe Sihi, executive director of the New Mexico-based council. A burial in the wilderness was especially appealing to Saul after spending so much of his life, blah, 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 in the mountains and picking flowers, yada, yada, yada. Uh, it says here that uh, he didn't like the idea of pumping dis- uh, gases into the atmosphere, <laughs> said his son David. Oh. Saul began researching green burials on the internet, eventually finding the website for the White Eagle Memorial Preserve, an actual burial ground about 15 miles from the small town of Goldendale. So, they're going into this uh, green, uh, greening of uh, dying and all the rest of it too, because you see the big boys want the top real estate. They actually want to plow up graveyards as well. So even though you pay for them all in advance, that's another con trick as well. They just, they just want to dig them up and, and, and build something on it. And probably the chemical company that makes the stuff that turns you into green sludge. Because they still use chemicals to do this kind of stuff, you see. So it's good business for the chemical agencies. The chemical agencies, too, that probably kill you off with all the cancers and the food, too, and, and processed stuff. You know, that's how it really works. Someone always makes a buck off death, you know, always makes a buck off death. And then the world faces a population bomb. We'll get into that when I come back from this break. It's all about eugenics, folks.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about eugenics and depopulation and all that kind of stuff, the stuff that's been hyped up for such an awful long time. And I've read articles in the past where, they've, as I say, they've talked about the elderly having a, having a duty to die, a duty to die so that the young might live, live better with more of everything and all that kind of stuff. And they get more and more brazen about their ideas. And, of course, I'm sure they've got it in comedy. Every comedy you see has got an elderly person who's always senile. They're always senile, always infirm, and so on. And the youngsters have been taught, too, that anyone who's elderly is irrelevant anyway. You don't, you're a different species if you're elderly. Where at one time, not that long ago, uh, they had respect for the elderly because they had so much wisdom and so much information they could impart to the young to, to give them advice on how to go through life and what pitfalls to avoid, that kind of thing. That's, that's disappearing, of course, because even the aging today have lived a life of watching TV, and you don't learn an awful lot on Seinfeld. So anyway, this says here, and this is from the Foreign Policy Group. The Foreign Policy Group, of course, put their magazine out, and they are another private group of a foundation, etc. It says, the world faces a population bomb. And then it says, yes, but of old people, not elderly anymore now, it's old people. Not so long ago we were warned that rising global population would inevitably bring world famine. And then he mentions Paul Ehrlich, uh, it says, who wrote apocalyptically in his 1968 worldwide bestseller, The Population Bomb, which was a total bogus book, actually, because, you see, he was all part of the depopulation agenda at that time. And they hyped it right up to the, to the as high as it could be about the common crisis and famine. And John Holdren, the science czar with Obama right now, helped to write that book with them. They both believe in compulsory sterilization of the unfits and all the other ones down below. I mean, ex-factory workers, stuff they don't need anymore, that kind of stuff. In the 1970s and 1980s, hundreds of millions of people will starve to death in spite of any crash programs embarked upon now. That's what they said. At this late date, nothing can prevent a substantial increase in the world death rate. Obviously, Ehrlich's predictions, Holocaust, which assumed that the 1960s global baby boom would continue until the world faced mass famine, did not happen. Instead, the global uh, growth rate dropped from 2% in the mid-1960s to roughly half that today, with many countries no longer producing enough babies to avoid falling populations. Having too many people on the planet is no longer a, a demographer's chief worry. Now, having too few is. Actually, they've said that in the next century uh, it'll be the other way around, having too few. But that's not enough for the diehards that want to get us, you know, kill more and more of us off. And then it says, um, it's true that the world's population overall will decrease by roughly one third over the next 40 years from 6.9 to 9.1 billion, according to the UN Population Division, who have always been wrong, by the way. But this will be a very different kind of population growth than ever before, driven not by birth rates, which have plummeted around the world, but primarily by an increase in the number of elderly people, too many, too many elderly people. Indeed, the global population of children under five is expected to fall by 49 million as of mid-century, while the number of people over 60 will grow by 1.2 billion. How did the world grow so great so quickly? Uh, worry, depressions, wars, 
and economic crashes as we made them grey uh, so quickly. That's what caused it. Anyway, it says one reason is that more people are living to an advanced old age, which is really not true at all. Uh, there really isn't much of a difference uh, across the so-called Western countries. Actually, it's falling in, in Britain. They've got the lowest, uh, they've got the highest um, young young death rate in any other country in Europe, and they work longer for before they get retirement. They generally they die before they retire. He said, but just, but it's great for government because they can keep all that cash. But just as government is the enormous bulge of the people born in the first few decades after First World War or World War II, both the United States and Western Europe saw particularly dramatic increases in birth rates during the late 1940s and 1950s as returning veterans made up for lost time. In the 1960s and 70s, much of the developing world also experienced the baby boom, but for a different reason, striking declines in infant and child mortality. As these global baby boomers age, they will create a population explosion of seniors. Today in the West, we're seeing a sharp uptick in people turning 60. In another 20 years, we'll see an explosion in numbers turning 80. Most of the rest of the world will follow the same course in the next few decades. And it's, then it gives you the, the greatest uh, generation and so on. They're always giving you a crisis on one end or the other, isn't it? They're just never happy. Mind you, in the United Nations definition of the perfect world citizen, it says a good citizen is a producer and consumer. And you see, once you're retired, you're now a useless eater. You're a consumer. You're not productive in an economic system. That's how they, you're labeled, by the way. And I'm not joking about that. You better find out what's really running the world. And you better look at all these charities and these institutions, as they call themselves, and these foundations that you help to give your cash to. Or, or think twice before you're told to go out in the road with a billboard protesting something. Make sure you know the group that's asking you to protest and what they're really protesting for. So, they're after the elderly now too. And as I say too, that I've got a, in the archive section at Cutting Through the Matrix, you'll find that article I read where they've said that the elderly have a duty to die. Not to linger on and, and last a few years, but to die. To make room for the young and up and coming crew to have a, the good life, as I like to call it. You see. Not to mention too, that under the United Nations agenda, now they've guaranteed under their charter that eventually the world is to have a, basically a standardized health care system where everyone is guaranteed, listen to this, the minimal health care possible. If you wonder why you're, you're, you're dropping and getting cut back in the UK and throughout Europe and in the US, this new socialized health care, because I've seen uh, the report that the government uh, got the RAND Corporation to do for them. And the RAND Corporation took Britain as a role model for slashing back on the cuts, giving bare treatment, minimalistic treatment, and that's what they're bringing into the U.S. And that stuff hasn't been published yet in the newspapers, but I've got it here. So all you idiots who think that Obama is bringing you wonderful health care, you better take a look around you and around the rest of the world because it's going to plummet like you'd never believe. You'd never believe. But again, most folk need the shock before they believe anything. That's the way it goes. I'm putting up a link to all these links. I'll put up at cuttingthroughmetrics.com at the end of the show. A link to the Asymmetric Warfare Group, which is quite interesting. 
and it has um, counterinsurgency methodologies and attack the network counterinsurgency methodologies as a battalion they call themselves of, I guess, cyber, cyber warriors, etc., for the government, and they have their strategy plans outlined here, and you can certainly go through it and spend a long time looking at all their different techniques from soft soft attacks to hard attacks, meaning kill, and lethal attacks, etc., etc., and what they plan to do all about it as they get up in power in the world. Now, <laughs> I love recycled news. Often recycled news is just an update of the same thing happening again. Generally, recycled news is when there's a slow news period and everybody's doing it. I've even seen it in the Patriot community reading recycled news. But anyway, uh, this, this, this is about the Congo. And I've been hearing about the Congo since I was a small boy right up to the present time. There's never been peace in the Congo, mainly because the big boys won't tell you that the Congo is one of the richest areas for certain minerals, but highly rich in uranium. Highly rich in uranium. That's why they keep them at war all the time over there, killing each other off. So the big mining companies, the international boys, can get in and loot the place for free while they're all fighting each other. That's why it's been growing so long there. But they never mention that uranium in any of the articles, including this one. And this is from the Associated Press. Of course, the press isn't there to tell you all this. The press gives you the story by always leaving half of the rest of it out. So you'll come to the desired but wrong conclusion. It says, Congo uh, rapes. Uh, a Congolese woman walks down the main road of a village in which hundreds of women and children were raped earlier this year. It says, the UN-backed Congolese troops have been accused of murdering and raping villagers and looting homes in the area in which rebel militias carried out mass rapes two months ago. They go back and forth just raping the, the UN troops and, the, uh, and these, um, these other Congolese troops. The UN, it's amazing. The, the, the UN, wherever they've gone, they've set up prostitution rings. They've even imported females from different countries into countries like Britain uh, through incredibly well-devised pipelines, and, and basically they're just sex slaves uh, for pimps. Wherever they've gone, they've done this, this kind of stuff. There's so many reports, it's unbelievable. But there again, it's not really if you understand what militaries are really all about. And it says, Margot Wallstrom, the UN envoy on sexual violence and conflict, told the Security Council yesterday that the UN peacekeepers had received reports of serious abuses by Congolese government soldiers. And August details emerged of the mass rape of more than 300 women, several men and children in the Eastern Democratic Republic of the Congo. The UN, which is a base 20 miles from the scene of the attacks, admitted failing to protect the victims. It's just like Rwanda. They get told, you know, the general who was stuck in Rwanda um, was from Canada. And the man eventually, when he came home, had a nervous breakdown, completely collapsed because, and he still couldn't figure out, he still doesn't to this day figure out that, that the United Nations would not send them supporting troops. He couldn't figure out why. Because he doesn't know that the UN has another agenda altogether to allow these mass calls to happen. And now he's on a, on a private civilian board advising the UN, because he still can't get through. He can't get through his head. But he was blaming himself initially in Rwanda. For what? Because they, they kept ignoring all of his calls over months and months, saying they knew the attack was coming and a mass slaughter was coming. They were even presented with the attack orders where they came from, who had armed these guys. It was a French group who armed them. 
all the data was in, but the UN didn't, no, no, leave them alone, just stay out of it, you know. So he had a nervous breakdown afterwards, and then they brought him back into the fold by putting him on an advisory committee. And he still will never get through his head as another, because they can't. They can't believe that all their life they've been working for something that has ulterior motives than the ones that's brainwashed into them. Anyway, back to the Congo. It says, it now faces further embarrassment because it provides a logistical support to the Congolese army, that's the UN army, which stands accused of compounding terror inflicted by the Rwandan-led FDLR rebels and the Congolese Mai Mai militia. Uh, Wallstrom, who visited Congo last week, said she heard directly from villagers and UN peacekeepers in the area in which killings, rapes and lootings were recently carried out by government soldiers. She urged the Congolese government to investigate the attacks and swiftly hold any perpetrators to account. The possibility that the same communities that were brutalized by the FDLR and Mai Mai elements in July and August are now also suffering exactions in the hands of government troops is unimaginable and unacceptable, she said. So, and that's the kind of stuff really that happens uh, when the UN's in there. If, if there's another reason for this going on, it will then, and believe you me, it's uranium there. The big mining corporations are in there big time. And if there's a stable government there, they could demand big, big fees, massive fees for these guys to be in there and mining. But that's not the way when they, when they end up having um, pell-mell civil wars and that going on. So they start the civil wars and they arm the rebel troops. That's how they do it. They did the same thing in Sierra Leone quite a few years back. The big gold and silver and uh, diamond guys in London were interviewed on a report asking why they'd sent mercenaries in to start a war. And they said that they couldn't get into certain areas to mine. So they got them all fighting each other and they sent in the mercenary troops to get it all started. And then they just moved in behind the troops and started to set up their mines and got all for free. And they interviewed the guy in the London uh, Diamond office that uh, talked about it. He was interviewed the top CEO. And he literally laughed in astonishment when he was asked, but did he see anything wrong with this, doing this kind of thing? He said, well, this is standard. He says, they're sitting in all those diamonds and they're doing nothing with it. And he laughed like, how preposterous a question. And that's the egotist and the psychopath you're dealing with. Huh. And all you ladies out there who love the big diamonds and so on, you go into the history of how much blood is spilled to get them. And the ones who really profit off them. And where that money goes to. For your little sparkling trinkets. It's disgusting what they do for diamonds. Disgusting. Now there's another article here, and it's from the 1960s. Very interesting, though. It's, it's a, a nice piece comes. Uh, uh, how to wreck the environment. This guy wrote a book back in the 60s, and uh, 68 it was. How to wreck the environment by Gordon J. F. Macdonald, USA. Professor Macdonald, associate director of the Institute for Geophysics and Planetary Physics at the University of California, Los Angeles. His researchers have embraced a remarkable diversity of natural phenomena and his professional interests are further extended by his participation in national science policy making. He's a member of President Johnson's Science Advisory Committee. Now he goes through all the dangers up to the environment to do mainly through warfare, like nuclear and so on. 
And then you scroll down, it goes into weather modification. Because uh, they were doing it big time back then, and they weren't doing just, just modification, they wanted to also use it for warfare purposes. And he touches on that as well. And of course, he does the usual stuff too, it might help farming and so on and so on. And how they could load up uh, the ice caps in certain mountainous areas with more and more ice, which will melt and bring more water down to dry plains, all that kind of stuff. But he also touches on climate modification. Uh, and he talks about um, is it how this could be used too. Um, and he goes through some of the history. He goes through some of what's happened in the past with climate alteration and its natural fluctuations going up to cool phases for 100 years, 200 years, and then warm phases and so on, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, which they've always known as standard knowledge, even at primary school, just junior school at one time. But it says, for example, the Europe, uh, in Europe, the climate of the early period following the last ice age was continental with hot summers and cold winters. In the 6th millennium BC, there was a change to a warm, humid climate with a mean temperature of 5 degrees uh, Fahrenheit higher than at present. Than at present. Hmm? For the global, global warmest out there. And a heavy rainfall that caused considerable growth of peats. This period, known as climatic to op- optimum, was accentuated in Scandinavia by land subsidence, uh, subsid- subsidence uh, which permitted a greater influx of warm Atlantic water into large Baltic areas or seas. The climatic optimum was peculiar. While on the whole, there was a very gradual decrease in rainfall. The decrease was interrupted by long droughts, uh, during which the surface peat dried. This fluctuation occurred several times, the main dry periods being from 2000 to 1900, 1200 to 1000, and 700 to 500 BC, with the last wave, heat wave, cost long 200 years long. Lots of hockey sticks up and down, but all down the way, you see. Back with more after... These messages. Amazing how they can eradicate this from history. <laughs> Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix and we've got Clint from Ontario. We'll take Clint. Are you there, Clint? Hello, Alan. How are you? Thanks for taking Not my so call. Bad. Yeah. I uh, actually, just to get back on the uh, the vaccine, the polysorbate 80, I have here in front of me, which I got last year when the H1N1 came out, is the uh, consumer information about the vaccine, the non-medical ingredients. Mm-hmm. And it is ni- nicely tucked away on page 22. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Yeah. And here it says that thimerosal was in it. Of course, we know that is mercury. Uh, also, it says other important ingredients were squalene, uh, vitamin E, polysorbate AV, which you touched on, uh, egg proteins, formaldehyde, uh, sodium gilcholate, I think it's pronounced, and sucrose. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm with formaldehyde also. I'm pretty sure they just put that in you when you're dead, not alive. Uh, certainly, they certainly do use that when you're dead, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So why would they put that into your uh, immune system while you're alive is beyond me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite appalling. Now, uh, this vaccine is probably going to come out again. Uh, I don't know if they're going to hide it through just the regular flu vaccine or not. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have a 1-800 hotline number here for Ontario, if you mind, could I mention it? Yeah, sure. Okay, it's for people if they want to call. It's uh, 1-800-476-9708. And you can call them and ask them why all this is in there and whatnot, and you can hear the uh, explanation they give. 
Now, a uh, quick story. Uh, last year when I had this, I printed off a few hundred copies, and I went to uh, where they were giving this vaccine in my town. Mm-hmm. And the lineup was, like, literally around the building. People were just lining up in droves to get this because of the fear that they were putting out. Mm-hmm. And, Alan, within five minutes of me getting into the back of the lineup and handing out this information, I was uh, surrounded by the finest police force that is in my town. <laughs> and and they told me that if I did not leave, I would be arrested for disturbing the peace. Disturbing now, the peace. Yes, exactly. Now, if it wasn't for a couple of gentlemen near the end of the line when I started voicing my opinion about freedom of speech, I honestly believe that I would have been pulled away in the back of that car. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for those two gentlemen who had families as well, who asked me for the information, uh, the, the officers literally turned around and walked away. Yeah. And I continued on to my car and had left because I didn't want the problem. But that's mm-hmm. what we're dealing with, you know. Yeah. I know it's, it's disgusting uh, how, how you're... I mean, just going to Sudbury today, I saw two opposing groups, pro-life and, and pro-choice, uh, on opposite sides of the road there. And, of course, there's never a cop to be seen uh, when they're pushing for uh, the state-funded abortion. You know, if, if they want to do it themselves, that's up to them. But why should everybody pay for for their decisions, right? If it's their choice, if it's their choice to get pregnant, obviously, they are somehow involved in the procedure, then why should you pay for what they want instead of the government stepping in? The government wants the right to abort. You see, you cannot give power to the government, and that's something else that they don't like to think about. There's always another reason for something, but you're right. And this year's flu shot, they've, they've snuck in the swine flu as well. and it's a, it's a, So it's a triple shot, really, in one uh, for this year's um, flu shot. I definitely plan on getting out there again if it happens. And uh, what people need to realize, too, especially here in Canada now, is that the the officers and our police forces, they're not uh, peace officers anymore. They're policy enforcers, yeah. and people need to realize that. And and I'm sure many people who know this uh, can see it. That uh, cops want confrontation, and if they're not going to get it, then they'll move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They're just there to enforce the policy now. That's right. They are. They are. Right. Exactly. That's right. You're, you're on. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. And for for Dan in Kentucky, I'll, I'll get to him maybe next week. Hopefully you'll phone again, Dan. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>